Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Is that knocking sound coming from your engine serious, or can it be fixed quickly with a screwdriver? If you're wondering whether it's time to make the investment in a new car, or at least one that's new to you, today's show is for you. Our guests have tips on keeping your current car running well, or pulling the plug and moving on. We'll also get insights on what it takes to work on cars for a living. That's all coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Scientists are sampling public water sources nationwide to test for what they call forever chemicals, which they estimate can be found in nearly half of the country's tap water. Yellowstone Public Radio's Kayla DeRoche reports scientists are also analyzing data from a river that's culturally significant to the Crow Nation in southeastern Montana. The U.S. Geological Survey this summer wrapped up sampling in a study testing for PFAS and other contaminants in the Little Bighorn River. USGS collaborated with Crow Tribal member and Little Bighorn College Water Quality Project Director John Doyle, who has spent decades working to address water quality issues and environmental health on the Crow Nation and along the Little Bighorn River. It's our drinking water in Crow Agency. We have a surface water plant. It's agriculture, irrigation. It's recreation. People swim in it, fish in it, and hunt along its banks. But it's also used for many of our traditional ceremonies and uses. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, PFAS is a family of manufactured chemicals that in humans may, alongside other possible health effects, increase the risk of cancer and cause developmental delays in children. Testing along the river also includes a range of other chemicals like pesticides and pharmaceuticals. Although Doyle says he hopes none will be found, he is concerned about impacts from wastewater treatment and other activity upstream. But it could be uh, any number of things because of there's a lot of stuff that goes into the Little Bighorn River that we don't know about. Analysis of the USGS data is still ongoing. My hopes and dreams are that we're able to completely restore the Little Bighorn River to the state where we can drink it and feel good about it. For National Native News, I'm Kayla DeRoche. The trial of a 54-year-old St. Paul Island, Alaska man accused of strangling his wife gets underway in Anchorage Tuesday. A grand jury indicted Joshua Rukavishnikov on charges of second-degree murder in the killing of his 37-year-old wife, Nadezda, who was also known as Lynette. She was found dead in the couple's home on St. Paul Island in September of 2021. He told police the death was accidental and occurred when the two had been fighting. The case drew attention after the couple's two-year-old son, Josh Joshua John died a few months later after being medevaced from St. Paul to an Anchorage hospital with a serious head injury. The child's guardians were later charged in the toddler's death. Alaska State Troopers say 33-year-old Stephen Melovidov and his 30-year-old wife Sophia initially told them they did not know how the boy was injured, but investigators say text messages between the couple told a different story. The autopsy found multiple head injuries and bruising in the child's genital area. They're scheduled for a court hearing at the end of the month. 
The back-to-back deaths rocked St. Paul Island, a remote community in the Privilof Islands, which had not had any homicides since 2006. For many on the remote island, the tragedy speaks to the deadly consequences of domestic violence that hits Alaska's small, isolated communities especially hard. The new Marvel Studios featurette Echo streams Tuesday on Disney Plus and Hulu. Five episodes follow the Native American lead, Maya Lopez, exploring her Choctaw culture and history. Executive producer and director Sidney Freeland says they work closely with the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma every step of the way for accurate on-screen portrayals. Alakwa Cox, who's Native American and deaf, plays the role of Maya. She says this is their chance to uplift Indigenous voices and let the world know Indigenous people are are still here. A number of native actors star in this series. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients and all can be found at lakotamade.com who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you in the market for a new car or war pony, as we often say in Native communities? If so, you're not alone. A new report by the research firm J.D. Power says car dealers had their best year since the pandemic, with more than 15 million new vehicles sold in the U.S. Cox Automotive also says almost one in five of those are electric or hybrid vehicles. With the price of new cars averaging $46,000, that option might be out of reach. Used car prices have eased up recently, but Cox says the cost is going to level out this year. And of course, there's always the option of making the most of your current ride. Today, we have a range of expertise from dealing with pushy car salespeople and knowing your car's trade-in value to understanding how many more miles your current car can last. Have you bought a new car recently? Do you have any questions? about buying or maintaining a vehicle, call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our first guest is joining us from Toronto, Ontario in Canada, Kendall Eaglechild. He is the owner of Eagle Auto Works and a member of the Blood Tribe. Hello, Kendall. Welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. (laughs) Good to have you, Kendall. Joining us from Kyle, South Dakota, is Dan Brewer. He is the automotive instructor at Oglala Lakota College, and he is Oglala Lakota. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the show as well. 
Welcome. My name's Dean, though. Dan is not the not my name. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dean. We'll make that correction. Dean Brewer, Oglala Lakota College. Also joining us today is Nate Berry. He's up in Anchorage, Alaska, where he is an assistant professor of diesel power technology at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. Good morning, Nate. Good to have you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And joining us from Lewiston, Idaho, is Chantel Green. She is the chief executive officer of Zexus Green Energy, LLC, former vice chair of the Nez Perce Tribal Executive Committee, and she's also the proud owner of a new car. She is Nez Perce. Hello, Chantel. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to have all of our guests on the show. We've got a really wide range of expertise. This is a car show. Let's get into it. Kendall, I'm going to go ahead and start with you up in Ontario. Now, you're a professional mechanic, a service technician. What do you look for when somebody brings you a vehicle and they're thinking of buying it and they want you just to give it a quick inspection to make sure it's a mechanically sound car? Well, um, uh, you know, the most important thing is like um, what kind of car it is, first of all, right? And if it's a, if it's a car with the, like known known problems or whatever, you know. And uh, another thing too is um, mileage of the car, the year of the car, and then uh, what we'll do is we'll um, we'll list it up and we'll we'll, we'll scan the we'll scan the computers and make sure there's nothing in it in the the background lingering. And um, yeah, that's basically what we do. And we'll lift the car, make sure there's not too much rust or anything leaking, and. And it, it all, but it really starts at what what type of car you're buying, right? It's not it's not just like what uh, oh look, look at this car is it good or not, right? It's more of what type of car you're buying and what, what is that the right car for you, you know? Okay, it's well, Kendall, not, what it sounds like to me is you're saying perhaps some makes and models of vehicles are better than others. Well, for, for everybody, everything is different, right? Like maybe maybe this car may be better for for what you're going to use it for, like a, maybe just for driving it. This one might be like for something else. Like if you have to go a, a little bit off into the country road, like you might need something that's a little bit higher off the ground or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I mean, there's a perfect car for everybody, right? <laughs> What's the biggest problem that you find with used cars that people bring into you? Uh, well, mostly, I mean, uh, used. So, uh, like, if the biggest problem I find with used cars is someone buying a used car that is maybe a little bit too, too, too too far gone like maybe needs repairs and and they're thinking that they can um fix this car for cheap and and they're gonna get a deal out of it but like most times when i see that it it, it never works out like that they they always end up spending way too much money on this car and and it's they could have probably bought a better car if they would have just spent a little bit more money just get that little bit of a better car right yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense kendall now you specialize in european cars um Now those can, those can be a little bit more pricey than some of the domestic cars or even some of the other foreign cars. Uh, what are some of the challenges or, or things that people need to pay attention to if they're interested in, in an imported European car? Uh, usually, um, European cars are are more to uh, maintain, cost a little bit more. The parts are more expensive, but um, I, I, on the on the other on the back end of that, they they are like they do drive better <laughs> they're quieter and uh some they do have more power some of them right so and just like the technology in a european car is about 10 like five to ten years 
uh, ahead of like what were like all the other brands like like uh, Americans or Japanese cars. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're you're paying for that, right? That's what you're paying for. Well, I had a buddy once. I mean, he had this old Mercedes. It was like a 15, 20 year old Mercedes, but that car was it was just tight. It was just put together so well. Like it just it, there were no rattles. It just it was just smooth running, and I, I think that has to do with maybe that European uh, craftsmanship, huh? Yes, yeah, a hundred percent, yeah. Okay, I agree with that. I, I've, I've, uh, sorry, I've, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've had customers that have had Japanese cars. I mean, have had European cars and gone into like, like say, a Japanese, more simpler Japanese car, and and they'll drive and they think something's wrong with it when it's really that's just how it drives. It's, it's louder. You can hear the road. <laughs> Stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I've had so. cars like that. Well, Kendall, what – I mean, is there like a timestamp? Like would you recommend somebody not buying a used car that's maybe more than 10 years old or a certain number of miles you just want to stay away from, or can it all vary? Well, I mean, uh, I, I guess it depends where you live too. Like over here in, in Ontario, like uh, cars after like uh, – after five years, a car is kind of really old here, like because uh, of the salt we use on the roads, and cars get rusty. Like it's a major, it's a major thing here, like having rust on a car. So that's what actually that's one of the bigger things that we look out for here is the, is the car rusty underneath. Has it been rust proofed, and uh, and has it been a, a lot of uh, another uh, good thing about having uh, to look for a car here is if it's been parked underground, underground parking, because uh, if, it, if it's parked outside, it's just exposed to all the elements in the wintertime. Because in the, in the wintertime, they have, we have salt trucks that just will spray salt all over the road, and it gets in your car, and it just creates rust everywhere. Mm-hmm. I've lived up in, in the mid, upper Midwest in the U.S., and I understand, like, rust, rough mufflers rust out and, like, the rust and the corrosion. But then, like, down in the southwest, what we're dealing with is just, like, the heat, and it just it, it wears out seals and bushings and gaskets. So it seems like... You kind of just have to pick your poison uh, depending on what part of the country. Different parts of the country, different climates create different challenges for cars. Kendall, I'm going to go ahead and take our first caller of the day. We have Aaron, who is listening in Watford City, North Dakota, on KMHA Radio. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to Native America Calling. Hello. Hello, Sean. I've been uh, listening to you for quite a while now, and... uh... You know, I want to say you're doing a really good job putting, you know, all the native aspects out there, the stories. You know, there's a lot of wisdom out there. And I just wanted to uh, talk about uh, I've been working on cars for about 40, 42 years now. And uh, mainly I was concerned about the old classic cars. You know, people still drive those things. Right now I got a, a 19... 77, I believe. It's a Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. But, Ooh. you know, if I ever wanted, if I ever wanted to sell it, um, you know, people go in the Kelly Blue Book nowadays and see where it all been, you know? Right. But I'm wondering right. uh, I'm wondering if for the classic cars, did it, does the Kelly Blue Book even work for those things? All right, that's a really good question, Aaron. Uh, appreciate you calling in, and uh, thank you for your compliments. And uh, Kendall, old muscle cars. Aaron's rolling in, a, in an old Pontiac Trans Am. I had a Pontiac back in the day. Uh, what do people need to know about buying some of those old classic hot rods, and especially with these blue book values? I mean, are those even relevant with cars that old? I, I'd say I'd say it's pretty hard to say. I mean. Uh... 
those cars were a little bit before my time, but uh, I, I do know that like uh, if the, the numbers are matching on the car and all that stuff, I, I, it is worth more. But I think the car is w- really only worth how much someone's really t- willing to pay for it, really, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes a good point. Uh, just the market will bear what the market will bear. Kendall, what got you into uh, working on cars and, and owning your own shop even? I, I kind of grew up in the, I grew up in the, in the trade. My dad had a shop uh, growing up and after school, I would just go to the, I'd go to the shop after school and hang out at the shop with him and touch things and break things and fix things. And that's kind of what got started, right? <laughs> That's what yeah. got me started at least, and you know, and then I took it more professional. I went to school, uh, worked at a dealership, a Mercedes dealership at one time, and uh, it just it just evolved from there. You know, like it was kind of like a, a it was. I grew up into it, and it turned into a, a real passion for me. You know, uh, cars and pro- my, the, the I think what it is is fixing a problem, is what is what gets me like what makes makes me you know happy to do it <laughs> still till, till now. <laughs> Problem solving. How, how long is uh, Eagle Auto Works? How long have you been in business? Uh, six years now. Six years, April. Six years. But I've been, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been active like in the thing for about twenty years now, and then I've been, uh, I've been a tech for twenty years, and basically before that, I just was working with my dad in his his little garage that we had in the laneway, and then um, that's where it all like that's basically where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've also tried other things. I've, I've, I was in part sales, and I did other uh, smaller uh, type of, like, different type of jobs. But I, I, I always came back to the. I have always came back to cars. <laughs> always came back to cars. That is Kendall Eaglechild. He is the owner of Eagle Auto Works in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we've got more guests. We're going to talk more about cars, what it takes to maintain a car, an older car. Uh, car buying tips. If you're interested in buying a new car, we've got it all for you today. If you've got a question, call us 1-800-99-NATIVE. This is Sean Spruce, host of Native America Calling. You can listen in every weekday to hear the only national call-in show from a Native American perspective. We explore topics that range from traditional cultural practices to up-to-the-minute news that affects every American. We hope you can join us for the next Native America Calling. Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History. You are listening to Native America Calling. Purchasing a new car or truck is one of the biggest financial decisions a person can make. With so many makes and models to choose, how does a person know where to start or decide which vehicle best suits their needs? Our guests today are explaining the ins and outs of car buying, car maintenance, car ownership. Join us with your comments and questions by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest, Dean Brewer, is an auto instructor at Oglala Lakota College. Dean, thank you again for joining our show. And 
Earlier, we heard Kendall talk about uh, looking for a used car to buy. What's some, what are some things we need to pay attention to when buying a used car? Tell us a little bit about car maintenance and what are some basic car maintenance skills that everyone should know when they're thinking about going out and making a purchase. Just make sure you have enough duct tape and bailing wire to get by. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I've had plenty of that in my day. <laughs> The old other, Indian car. Yeah. <laughs> other than that, just uh, like he said earlier, the undercarriage. Some salt regions, they just rot out the underneath, and it just, things fall off. The salt affects under cars, so it does rust. Also, I would like to look in the radiator to see if they put something in there to hide a problem, like a head gasket problem or something blown, or to just, just to try to sell something that's not worth buying. So mm -hmm. inspection, tires, suspension. Well, those, what you're describing, like if somebody has a coolant leak and they can buy that stuff at, a, at an auto parts store, you just put it in the radiator and it does a quick seal. Uh, it sounds like some of that stuff can do more harm long-term for a vehicle uh, than good in terms of, like, clogging stuff. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. Especially if you don't have anything, then you go to get your commods and put some cornmeal or something in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean, what about, what about this? Because I hear a lot of people say, oh, these new cars, everything's computerized, everything's fuel-injected. You can't work on new cars anymore if you're just a shade tree backyard mechanic. You need special equipment and tools. Is that true, or can we still do some basic maintenance even on new cars? Basic fundamentals like air filters, fuel filters, spark plugs, they have to be maintained. Your oil has to be changed. And on dirt roads, you always have to check your filters all the time and uh, just keep it up maintaining it. Your tires have to be rotated, inspected, brakes. You have all kinds of stuff like basic maintenance that has to be continued on. So computer control cars, you just sensors cause problems, and they're just telling you that something's wrong with the engine that you have to look into. And so it's pretty simple if you keep it simple. Dean, what do you prefer to drive yourself, new cars or used ones? Used ones. I kind of like to make my own or keep them up. My vehicle What's... right now has 300,000 miles on it, and it's going strong. Wow. Yeah. And how often are you having to get under that hood, or is it pretty maintenance-free? Um, I kind of – it's maintenance-free right now. I just changed the oil, and so uh, it's pretty good. It's good. Everything's good on it now. It's ready for another 300,000. <laughs> Get up to 600,000. It'll be one of those yeah. record cars. Yeah. Dean, let's say we've got a listener now and they're listening to you and they're thinking about buying a, a used car, maybe from either a dealer or maybe just from a person, just a regular seller, just a regular individual. What are some questions that you recommend a person ask anyone selling a car so the buyer knows what to look out for? I look at the high high mileage and um, the as is no warranty is kind of a risk right there. So I want to look at maybe some paperwork that they have that they kept up kept up keep on the vehicle itself and maybe drive it and maybe have someone with no more knowledge take take them with you 
to check it out further and go through the basic things like open the hood and check things like that. Dean, we had a caller earlier, Aaron, who was driving a, a hot rod Pontiac, and you still see those. People still like those old muscle cars and classics. Any tips or ideas for how to keep a, an old classic or a muscle car or a hot rod on the road and running right? Yeah, call me and sell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet. Dean, you're a hustler out there, buying, buying and selling and trading cars. Yeah. I've got a few old ones myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I had an old Pontiac myself. Uh, it was fast, had a big engine. It could pass everything but the gas station, though. That was the one thing you couldn't pass <laughs> up on the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Dean, what do you like about being an auto instructor there at Oglala Lakota College? How long have you been doing auto instruction? Um, off and on for... I started at the high school level and then I moved up to college level and then in between I worked at different garages and so I have over 30 years experience and I like teaching because I'm getting up there in age and younger people need to start stepping up and start working on vehicles now because us older people need to take a break and so I prefer to pass on the knowledge is what I want to do. And your students that are coming in, uh, what are they most interested in? I mean, there's so many specialized systems in cars. Now, there's engines, there's suspension systems, there's transmissions. What are your students most interested in learning about? Probably just the basic everything right now, just the maintenance. And and then if they want to get advanced, then we'll get into the rebuilds or whatever they want to do. But nowadays, it's just remove and replace because that might be the cheapest route to go. Now, Dean, another concern some folks might have is, is having tools and um, how much can a, can a, just a a person who wants to maintain their vehicle, do basic repairs, what kind of tools do they need? Do they have to spend a whole lot of money on on getting specialized tools to do that? Or or can you get a a good little set of hand tools for for an affordable price? Not if you're just doing basic maintenance, like, tire repairs or tire and oil changes and spark plugs and filters and stuff like that. It's just not very expensive to have something like that. All like right. a jack and maybe impact stuff, just simple stuff. Yeah, it's just the basics. But just to start off and then you can start working. As you make money, you can start building what you see you might want need further on down the road. All right. Well, we've got Dean Brewer on the line, auto instructor at Oglala Lakota College. Let's hear now more about what it takes to sell cars. Earlier, I spoke with Rhiannon Singer, an auto sales consultant with Amigo Toyota in Gallup, New Mexico. Rhiannon is Navajo and offered helpful car buying tips ranging from how to calculate a manageable monthly loan payment to getting maximum value on a trade-in vehicle. She says budget is a priority. The main thing is income. You have to have a job for at least six months. Um, There's a lot of people that decide to get a car and put themselves in positions where it seems like they love the car so much and they want to buy it, but they don't think long-term into how much their payments is going to add up all the way along. They think kind of short-term. I think that puts them in a position where they're in trouble sometimes. 
And that's the hard part, but I love to help people out in those positions because, you know, they're going to need a car eventually. As a consumer, what can we do to to avoid that? Because it sounds like when people get emotional like that, they might not make the best decisions. Aiming for something that's in your price range, knowing where you're going to start or having at least an idea of what um, fits into your budget when you come in. Maybe $3,500 a month. That's their, their gross income. Is there a formula that you use to estimate what a a smart monthly payment for the car would be? Well, if you think about 3500 a, mo- uh, a month, you know at least half of that's going to go to your housing and utility. Once it's about half, I'd say divide that in another half, and that would probably be your budget you'd be looking around. That way you have extra spending money and everything. So that means probably about 25% of monthly income is about the max you'd want yeah. to make for if a car payment. anything i would probably try to go 20 percent. yeah because you still have to remember the insurance and insurance yeah, is going up in a lot of places a lot of uh, people don't consider insurance because once they once they decide to get the vehicle then there's like okay go ahead and work on your insurance and they're like oh i forgot about my insurance a lot of the times um people upgrade their vehicles so their insurance goes up sometimes what do people need to pay attention to with a trade-in? Because I think a lot of people rely on a trade-in for their down payment. Keeping the miles low. Keeping the miles low puts more value on the vehicle. Because a lot of the time when people are buying vehicles, typically majority of the time when I speak with customers, they're looking under 70000 So if your vehicle is higher than that, there's not a lot of consumers out there that are willing to buy that Rhiannon, I want to get some insider scoop here from somebody in the business because I, I always hear stories like, oh, the best time to buy a car is like at the end of the month because all the salespeople need to hit their quotas. And other people say, no, it's the beginning of the month because they, they want to start off with a sale. <laughs> is there best time of the month or the week to buy a car or does any of that even matter? Depends on the salesperson you're talking to. Some people just want to make a deal. Some people will make you that deal and you have the best deal available. But at the other times, there's a lot of the times here where I work, a lot of people hit their quota pretty early. So when they hit their quota pretty early, we kind of just sell it at just basically what any other dealership would sell it to you as, or even better most of the time. Hmm. I wonder if there's a way to tell. Maybe you could ask them, have you hit your quota this month? Do people ever ask you that when they buy a car? No, nobody <laughs> ever asks me that when I when they purchase a car. The auto sales industry, um, it it doesn't always enjoy the best reputation. And there's even been some instances of predatory behavior toward Native people. As a Native woman selling cars, do you feel a responsibility to to change that narrative? Yeah, a lot of the time. um, uh, People have helped before since I've started here. A lot of them are saying that they like how honest I am with them. As long as you tell people how honest and what's going down in the deal, they're more, they're, they're more comfortable in buying stuff from you repetitively. You'll get more repeat customers that way. A lot of the times I've had customers just tell me straight out. I feel like that's a lot of the community here. Um, Majority of our clientele in the area I work is Native American. It's kind of one of those things where I want to help the community, especially in the area we're at too. There's a lot of snow sometimes and it gets really muddy here. So uh, a lot of people are looking to get into trucks, um, at least four by fours or anything like that. So I like to help the community more so that way. 
That is auto sales consultant Rhiannon Singer sharing car buying tips and insights on her responsibility as a Native woman selling cars and trucks to a largely Native American customer base. So we've heard from auto technicians, we've heard from an auto sales associate, now let's hear from a car buyer herself. And we've got Chantel Green, again, she's up in Lewiston, Idaho, and she is the proud owner of a new car. Hello, Chantel. Thank you again for joining us. And tell us more about this new car that you just bought, make and model. Yes, thank you. Um, the make and model that I bought, I went with a Tesla, the Model 3. Um, it's a long-range, all-wheel. Um, it's brand-new 2024, um, so, or 2023, excuse me. Um, and that's what I um, decided to do. Um, I just purchased it. Um, it's about a month-long process. Um, I went through the Tesla.com. Well, congratulations, Chantel. That is awesome. So you, one of these new Teslas, an EV, uh, Tesla's just revolutionizing the whole car sales process. You don't even have to go with the dealer. You just bought the car directly through the website. Is that how it worked? Yes. Yeah. You just go to www.tesla.com, and the whole ordering process is completely online um and then once you do the online fee which is about 150 dollars um they send you a link um, and then you download their app the tesla app and it walks you through the entire process and um, they assign somebody to you however it's just completely on the app and it gives you instructions um, for every process that you go through well, what did you think of that whole, that new way to buy a car? Did you prefer that as opposed to the old school way of going into a dealer and signing papers and all that? Um, yeah, it was simple. Um, it was definitely different. Um, it was my first time going through this whole entire process. Um, so what the uh, previous people were speaking about, any of the issues or insurances or anything, um, it's all done prior to you taking um, ownership. So there's a, you know, a date and time for delivery, um, and it delivers to whatever closest Tesla uh, dealership there is to your specific location. And no haggle pricing. The, the price that you see listed on the website, that's what you pay, right? Yep. That's the exact okay. price. Yeah. Now, is this your first EV electric vehicle? No, this is actually my second. So I originally had a Volt, a Chevy Volt. Um, and that's due to our location. Um, so I kind of was hesitant um, about just going right out with uh, just 100% EV um, because of our, our location. We're very rural and we don't have a lot of charging stations here yet. Um, we have two actually at our casino, which is our, we went with ChargePoint. However, the apps are down right now. Um, so that, that made me a little bit more hesitant um, and trying to do my own research on whether an EV will work in our area or what that's actually going to look like. So um, I originally had a Chevy Volt that was a hybrid, so I was able to do both gas and electric. Um, it wasn't a long range, though, so it didn't go very far. It went about 30 miles per charge. Um, my Tesla, the Model 3, it goes 333 miles per charge. So I was testing that out to see um, the range um, per charge and if it would work in our area. Now that's the big debate that we hear a lot. Uh, EV versus internal combustion engine. Um, 
EV the future, but people talk about, geez, you know, what if there's not enough charging stations? What if, uh, you know, your battery doesn't have uh, enough life? And it's just a whole new type of vehicle. The technology is very, very different. So, but so far, Chantel, it sounds like you're pretty happy with your EV. Yes. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, and, and it does work very well in my area. Again, going with the long range um, is what I was looking for. So it's the exact model of everything that I, it was everything that I was looking for. Um, and it does work in our area. It's all will. So we also do get some snow, not a ton, but our area gets cold. Um, but it works really well in, in our, um, our area and on our roads. And what do your friends and family think? I mean, a Tesla, that's a pretty pretty bougie brand there. Do they, do they, do they comment? Do they like it? Um, they loved it. I actually, um, one of my aunties actually came with me, um, when I went to, uh, for the delivery day. Um, and she loved it. She was actually looking at the model Y while we were there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, they're pretty nice once you actually get over the, I guess the anxiety or the range anxieties. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty simplified process, so I'm pretty happy with, with what I got. Are you interested in buying an electric vehicle or are you old school and you want to stick with gasoline power? Give us a call. Let us know. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D dot com. This is Native America Calling. Have you ever gotten a really good deal on a new car? Or have you ever bought a lemon? Tell us your best or worst car buying story at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. One person who definitely did not buy a lemon is Chantel Green. She's on the line right now. She's Nez Perce, and she's a proud owner of a brand-new Tesla. And Chantel, let's talk a little bit about your work with renewable energy and uh, its connection to the Nez Perce tribe, because it sounds like your motivation for buying an electric vehicle uh, very much aligns with your work and your just overall perspective with regard to sustainable futures for Native economies and Native communities. Yes, um, thank you for that. Um, and I guess to <laughs> correct the pronunciation of it is Hechus, um, and that just means green in Nez Perce. Uh, my company is Hechus Green with the E on the end, like my last name, Energy LLC. Um, I'm 100% woman, Native American-owned consulting company, um, obviously based in Idaho. And the whole point of the company is strives to build partnerships and collaboration uh, that benefits our natural environment by working together to develop holistic goals for every project. Um, services that we provide are renewable energy development, um, and that's what we were able to achieve for the UNESPERS tribe microgrid. Um, that also encompassed workforce training and development, where we have our own UNESPERS tribal members who are solar certified to do the installations, um, and they get deployed to um, all of our projects currently. Um, we now have our own Nimupu Energy, 
uh, company that deploys our Nespers tribal members to each project. Um, my company uh, also assists with the financial and grant uh, research assistance for um, each project um, and or guidance, uh, resiliency and economic planning. Um, sustainability is very, very broad um, and that really kind of uh, molded into what I was looking for in a vehicle. Um, obviously adding energy storage or um, battery packs, that's exactly basically what a Tesla is, is running off the battery. Um, there's no oil, there's no gas, there's no that uh, old school type of maintenance. Everything's done on an app. Um, I do this type of work for a living. So, um, you know, going in this direction is exactly what I was looking for in a vehicle. So doing my own research and then being able to help others um, transition out as well um, and being able to help the electrification in our area, which is very rural. Um, mm -hmm. So moving in that direction, I would like to help others to be able to go with electrification um, and help increase our charging station availability here. Chantel, it sounds like uh, this Tesla is just a perfect fit for you. And uh, you're very knowledgeable with regard to renewable energy and uh, what the responsibilities are with owning an electric vehicle. So again, congratulations on your car purchase and good luck with your business as well. Thank you. And Let's thank you move. for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, you bet, Chantel. We're going to head up to Anchorage, Alaska now, where we have our next guest on the line, Nate Berry. He is an assistant professor of diesel power technology at the University of Alaska. Nate, I appreciate you joining our show as well. And uh, I'm just learning so much talking to our different guests here. Chantel just bought an EV. Uh, we've got other folks who have a long history of uh, car repairs and car maintenance and uh i'd like to get your perspective now and um what are some initial tips you can share with regard to somebody looking to purchase either a new car or a used car or an internal combustion engine or an electric vehicle like what chantel just bought um yeah well thanks for having me uh there's a lot of those factors i definitely agree with uh dean and kendall on those um looking in the radiator if you're looking for an internal combustion engine uh, oil is always good to look at the steering and suspension. We run into that a lot right now. We had over 85 inches of snow fall in December, uh, <clears throat> just in Anchorage. Um, so four wheel drive and the, the suspension components are really what gets torn up around here. Um, but then we also have uh, salt air. Most of our communities are, you know, right on the ocean. Uh, I spend my summers out on St. Paul Island. Um, and I work for them uh, fixing their heavy equipment and their, their light duty fleet. And so that's uh, the same same issues you run into is big salt salt air corrosions interesting yeah these different climate factors impacting vehicles now you specialize in diesels uh do you still have a lot of diesels on the road up there in anchorage and other parts of alaska we do um we're such a broad community um rural and urban uh, we still have a, a large mining uh, faction up here uh, we have a lot of heavy equipment that's run we still have oil and gas industries the fishing fleets are very big in diesel as well still. Um, and so there's new and old equipment always prominent. Um, I do both gasoline and, and diesel systems. Um, and we just opened up a uh, EV position here at our university that we're going to be teaching as well. Um, so we're trying to cover, cover all the bases of what's needed in certain areas. What are some issues uh, that diesel vehicle owners should be mindful of, Nate? Um, most people know or they usually buy a diesel because they do last longer, so they tend to have a lower RPM rate. 
So even though they're a compression ignition engine, they have higher um, temperatures that go along with them. The big things you're looking at are head gaskets. So if you open up the uh, oil cap and you get pressure that's coming out of the oil cap, then you know you have some sort of um, blow by within the engine. Um, other things to look at are, are you, um, do you want to buy something new? And so in 2007, 2014, and moving on to 2027, there's been massive amounts of emission changes to diesels. And with those emission changes, there's been a significant increase in the after-treatment system. So what's coming out of the tailpipe? Mm -hmm. um, so early on in those, 2005 to 2012 was um, pushed a lot um, to get these systems initiated. So there was a, a lot of issues with those year vehicles just because they were new systems. Um, but now the newer diesels are getting the same horsepower out of them and the same torque output, um, but maintaining better gas mileage or fuel mileage. So maybe it's something maybe a little bit later. I've noticed that a lot of diesels, they smoke, and it's normal. It's part of the the way the engines are built. But is that changing now with some of these newer diesels? Are they smoking less? They're smoking less, yep. Um, so what you have coming out of your tailpipe, you know, before you have these emission standards is you have hydrocarbons, NOx, or oxides with nitrogen, um, uh, and then CO, carbon monoxide. Um, the cool thing is with these new after-treatment systems is that they're adding ammonia or urea, right, which is death systems. And so the only thing coming out of the tailpipes at this point is pretty much water and, um, and uh, oxygen with very minimal carbon deposits. And so I can run a, a truck in my shop all day now with all the doors closed and all the vents off, and it's per perfectly fine to breathe. Whereas if I run something from the 80s, it's going to smoke me out in 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's going to yep. <laughs> really, that's, yep. that's, that's wild. Let's take another yep. caller now. Jordan, who is listening on station KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Jordan. Hey, Sean, what's up, bro, man? We've talked before. I'm a... Just wanted to share a story. I drive a Prius now because my mom passed away in February, so I'm driving her Prius. It's a 2015, and I can't for the life of me understand it. That being said, I once bought a 280Z. It's a Datsun Z, and it's a 1984 for $1,000, and it was beautiful. T-roof and everything. And not, you know what that is, like the not quite a convertible, but not quite not. Anyway, it would, like, make the Knight Rider things, like, left door is open. And I work in radio like you do. <laughs> By the way, you're doing a bang-up job. My ex-wife is English, as she would say, you're doing a bang-up job. But I would just park in my driveway and open the door. Left door is open, close it. Right door is open, close it. And then lights are on. <laughs> so that was my pickup lines. That was my pickup lines when I went to a bar. I'd be like, hey, your left door is open. You know, made you look. So anyway, I just want to share that. It's kind of funny. So great show, man. I appreciate it. I used to work at KUNM. I've told you this before. When uh, Marcos Martinez was the uh, program director, I don't know if you go back that far, but yeah, I remember uh, Marcos make, make Martinez. It. Yeah, he he still does kind of some stuff. But anyway, so that being said, the 280Z, and then my ex-wife and I it was over by Sprouts over there by Lomas and San Mateo. And we lived in a duplex, and we were driving, and this guy T-boned us, and I was like, no, like slow motion, you know. So <laughs> anyway, great show, man. All right, Jordan, appreciate that call. I remember those old T80Zs. Uh, that was before Nissan. Uh, that was when it was Datsun before it became Nissan, and those are classics for sure. Uh, Nate, we've got some good callers here just talking different issues with cars and trucks and different types of engines. And 
what are some some more specific issues that uh, drivers up in Alaska need to be mindful of? You talked about some of the salt and, and some of the the condensation. What are some other challenges people might face on the road? Uh, big things we run into is temperature differentials. So you know it could be negative twenty one day and it could be twenty plus the next day. So that that does a lot of wear and tear on your battery life. Um, so we do plug in vehicles when it gets below zero usually. Um, but if a constant like turn on, turn off is going to be pretty pretty bad for your engine. And a lot of things that people don't realize too is that if you turn your car on and you drive five minutes down the road and you heat it up, you know, partially and then turn it back off, it never really clears everything out of the system. So a byproduct of heat is moisture, right, within the vehicle system. So if you never heat up your vehicle enough to actually get it to dissipate that and actually um, push that condensation out of your motor, you get a lot of rust buildup with it internally in the engine as well. So batteries and, and heat buildup. Okay, I have two questions for you, Nate. Uh, and the first one is, so I, I was always taught the same thing. You want to be careful about stopping and starting your engine frequently. But what's up with these new cars that automatically shut off at a stoplight and then start up when the light turns green? Like That seems like it's wearing the engine out. Uh, not necessarily wearing the engine out. So a lot of that was you're putting, looking at amperage draw on the battery when you're starting and stopping. But with newer ignition coils um, and hybrid systems, um, they have the battery capacity in order to do that over and over again. Right. So my we just purchased an EV vehicle as well for my wife, and um, it, it does the same thing. Right. It's 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 a great vehicle, and it turns on and off based upon um, the need or the, the gas pedal, um, but it's not putting a huge load on the system. Okay. Well, that's my next question then. Uh, EVs in Alaska. Sounds like they make sense if your wife just bought one. Well, um, they do for our applications. We're still, we're always about 10 to 15 years behind the curve from the rest of the states. Um, Just because our infrastructure is minimal and most of our communities are off the road system. They're looking at right now, the Alaska Energy Authority and a few other places about putting in a charge station every 50 miles from here to Fairbanks which is halfway into the state. Um, but we don't really have the infrastructure currently to support a massive EV market. Um, so the, the home charging station is an option. Um, however, like the, the um, uh, fast chargers are not in place yet. There's a few in Anchorage, but not uh, across the road system. What about hybrids? Can those make more sense in Alaska? They do, yep. We have a, we, I mean, we don't have a massive, um, we have three roads, right? We have one that goes north, one that goes south, and one that goes to Canada. So um, we don't have, even though we have a lot of roads, there's not a whole lot of um, places to go in between those. So the hybrids are available to get you from place to place, um, all the way down to Seward, and then all the way up to Fairbanks, running farther north. So the, the hybrid, I think, is a good option for a lot of residents. Um, but those off off the um, road system um it doesn't really, in my, in my opinion, doesn't make a lot of sense to have an EV vehicle just because they don't have the, the grid or the capacity to charge it on a regular basis. Plus, the big thing that we run into is cold weather, right? You know that if you leave your laptop or your phone or anything in your car and it's cold outside, it kills the battery. The same thing happens with a, an electric vehicle. As an example, our, our vehicle is supposed to get 210 miles per charge, and when it's zero degrees outside, we have about 97 miles per charge. Mm. Yeah, that's so a huge difference. you lose a lot of that. Right, right, with that cold. Nate, mm-hmm. we keep hearing, oh, you know, EVs, like no maintenance, minimal maintenance. Are, are there some maintenance issues that EV drivers need to pay attention to? Yes, uh, um, I would say battery condition and battery life, just like 
same thing, your cell phone or anything else, like you don't want to charge it to a full 100% capacity over and over and over again because it'll diminish how much it can charge to. So usually most manufacturers recommend to charge it to 80%. So your, your battery is your entire vehicle, so you got to make sure to maintain that. One thing you don't see on vehicles, right, is there's usually a five to 10 year period after vehicles come out before they start to massively break. Um, and so seeing as how a lot of our EV vehicles are still fairly new, we're not going to see a lot of those major problems until they start um, being circulated into the market more. And a, a major fact that we run into now is that there's no technicians to work on them, right? And that's, and that's across auto, diesel, and EV. But people are bringing in vehicles and the dealer or anyone else is saying, you know, well, you got to wait three months to have your car fixed. So mm. um, it's hard enough to get an internal combustion engine mechanic, but there's very few and far between EV techs here in Anchorage and Alaska. All right. Thank you, Nate. Well, let's bring Kendall Eaglechild. Let's switch gears here. Uh, sorry for the bad pun. And uh, bring Kendall Eaglechild back into the conversation. Kendall, do you work on EVs there at your shop or are you mostly sticking with the internal combustion engines? Uh, we don't really, uh, I mean, other than like your basic tires and I, I, I've, I've done a set of brakes on a Tesla, but like nothing, nothing more than that. Like that we've, uh, actually done on any electric vehicles yet. The first time I ever got inside a Tesla, just free, there's like nothing, there's nothing on the dash. It's just like an iPad and that's it. There's like <laughs> none of the gauges. It just, it's completely, it's cool, but it's really disorienting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so people also complain about the, um, uh, if you're not used to it, uh, passengers get like a, a, a motion sickness because of the way it slows down. Like it, it, it's, if you just let off the gas, it slows down by itself. Uh, I've never experienced it, but I, I've, people that have bought them have told me that, 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 that they get like a weird, it takes a while to get used to, right? Mm-hmm. Kendall, it sounds like you've owned a lot of cars in your lifetime. As we begin to wrap up the show here, favorite car, best car you have ever owned in all your years of driving. What is oh, it? Oh, there's too many. There's too many. I, I've had uh, I've, I've had a Honda S2000. Uh, I currently have a, um, a 1990 Toyota pickup truck. Uh, what else did I have? I've had um, Cadillac Escalade. I've had, uh, what else What else have I had? I've had so many cars. Uh, I've had so many cars. I have uh, a Mercedes, uh, BMW. <laughs> Sounds like you've um, driven them all. Yeah, for I mean, uh, quite a few, quite a few, yeah. All right. Well, that uh, Toyota pickup truck, that definitely catches my attention. I like those uh, those older pickup trucks and especially some of the imports, uh, good quality vehicles there. And uh, we're going to have to wrap up the show now. It's been a wonderful conversation and a discussion. We had a wide range of expertise on our show today. Big thank you to Kendall Eaglechild, Dan Dean Brewer, Nate Berry, Chantel Green, and Rhiannon Singer. Please tune in again to Native America Calling. We'll have another good show for you with good insights and good perspectives on issues that are relevant to Native communities and your life. Until then, have a great rest of your day. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.